Uh, hello everybody welcome to the fourth in our series and the life of David and this is the third week that we are in the story of David and Goliath 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, let's pray that God will speak. We praise you dear Lord for this wonderful story of David and Goliath. We pray now come and speak to us afresh through it and give us a fresh confidence in you and we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. So as I said, it's the third week in this story. We've looked at the contrast between Saul's fear of Goliath and the Israelites' fear of Goliath and David's much greater fear of the Lord, his greater awareness that the Lord was with him. Uh, that was much greater than his fear of Goliath. Uh, we looked at David not trying to wear Saul's armour, uh, but how he needed the courage to be himself, to be the person God had made him to be with the gifts and experience that God had given him. Today I want us to look at the big picture though of this story, that God saves his people from their enemies, that the battle is the Lord's. If you want to focus on one verse, it's 1 Samuel 17 uh, verse 47. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into his hands. Uh, this is the great message throughout the Bible, that the Lord saves his people. It's the same message really from beginning to end, like a symphony that's developed in different movements, some slow, some fast, in major and minor keys. Uh, all different aspects of the great overall theme that God saves his people. Uh, and we can see this story as a great example of how the Lord saves his people. Uh, it's not primarily about the small David against the big Goliath, against a, a quick shepherd, against a clumsy giant. This is primarily about God's victory over evil. It's an acted parable, if you like, of salvation pointing forward to how God would save his people supremely through Jesus. So let's look at the story through the eyes of the people of Israel. We are part of God's great people and let's see ourselves as part of God's people and how he saves. First of all then we see they have a powerful enemy. Goliath was big and terrifying. Let me just read to you again from chapter 17 early on from verse 4. A champion named Goliath from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing his words, Saul and all the, Philist all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Uh, he was a powerful enemy. The Philistines were powerful and Goliath was their secret weapon. A bit like a small country overrun by a powerful enemy with a devastating weapon. 
Maybe like the days when small Kuwait was overrun by Iraq or the tiny Falklands Islands were overrun by Argentina. Uh, Israel was overrun by the Philistines and there was no UN force to intervene. If Goliath was terrible, the real enemy of God's people is far worse. The real enemy of God's people is the devil and he always has been. Behind the snake in the garden was the devil. Behind Goliath was the devil. Behind the authorities who crucified Jesus was the devil. Behind all the attacks on the church today, whether it's a godless culture that ridicules the church or that persecutes Christians with violent attacks in other countries, behind the temptation to sin, behind death and the power of death is the devil. And in the face of this, God's people often feel like the Israelites did then. We feel helpless and we need God to act. We can't deal with the devil in our own strength. We can't deal with sin and death. We need God to intervene. So first we see a powerful enemy. Then we see an unlikely champion. Here comes David, the shepherd boy, young, relatively weak, and frankly, a bit of a disappointment. This is what Saul says to him in verse 33. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. And this is what Goliath thinks of him uh, in verse 42. He looked David over and saw he was little more, more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come out at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David is a shepherd boy uh, with no armour, just his slingshot. And it's all a bit of a big joke for Goliath. But of course, David isn't just a boy. In chapter 16, we saw how he has been anointed by Samuel with oil, but supremely anointed by God with his Holy Spirit. He has been anointed as the next king of Israel. The anointed one literally means the Christ or the Messiah. By the time of Jesus, by the first century, the Jews were expecting a Messiah, great David's greater son, who would kick out the Romans just like David had dealt with the Philistines. But when Jesus came, he didn't look like the Messiah they were expecting. He also looked weak, born in a stable, no particular force or strength. He came from a poor, humble background and ridiculed by his family as mad. But God was in control. God was in Jesus, anointing Jesus with the Holy Spirit. And just as God won a great victory through David against Goliath, so God supremely would win the great victory through Jesus at the cross over the devil. So that's the third bit of this. There's a powerful enemy. There's an unlikely champion hero. Uh, but supremely, there is a divine victory. Listen again to what David said uh, to Saul. Verse 37, David says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And listen what David says to Goliath, verse 45. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have 
uh, defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And so he did. God did it through David. But it is God's victory. The battle is the Lord's. Uh, let's enjoy it again. Verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. The people of Israel did nothing to achieve this victory. They stood and watched uh, but then they could enter into the victory uh, and they certainly entered into it the story goes on verse 52 and 53 then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron their dead were strewn along the Sharim road to Gath and Ekron when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines they plundered their camp just as Jesus won a great victory for us uh, through the cross and resurrection. He did it. We couldn't do anything to win this victory, but we do need to enter into that victory ourselves. So in this story, we see a wonderful prototype of the way that God would ultimately rescue his people through Jesus, that he would overcome sin and death and the power of the devil at the cross so that they need hold no more fear for us. And we can identify with the people of Israel and enter into this victory for ourselves. But if we're realistic, too often we ourselves are intimidated by the opposition of the devil. Uh, we're overcome by temptation or by hostility or ridicule. And we need to look to the Lord who saves us. I'm reminded of that great hymn, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. We are to look up to him. Uh, we don't do things in our own strength. We don't need faith in our own faith. We need faith in Jesus to look up to him, confident in the victory that he has won. And then to enter into his victory, like the Israelites did, with a great shout uh, they then charged and took the land, as it were. And we can be confident because Jesus is risen from the dead. Uh, we know we are on the winning side. We don't need to be defeated. We can look up confident and, as it were, as his people, the church, surge forwards. Not through gritted teeth, not trying to do it in our own strength, but confident that Jesus has won the victory and he is for us, so who can be against us? And it's those verses from Romans 8 that I want to read as uh, I come into land and as I lead in prayer. St Paul, confident of the victory that Jesus has won, 
says this, Romans 8 from verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's pray. We praise you, Lord God our Father, for the victory that you won for your people that day through David. We praise you even more for the victory over sin and death that you won through Jesus, through the cross and resurrection. And we praise you that we are part of your great people, growing year by year. Uh, your great people that will last for all eternity. So we pray, send your spirit afresh on us and give us a fresh confidence in the gospel, the good news that we have, that sin is defeated, that death is defeated, and that one day Jesus will return and we will be with him. Give us, we pray individually, uh, a fresh confidence against the opposition or temptation that the evil one sends to us. Help us to look up to Jesus, our Messiah, who has defeated evil and enter into his great victory. And we pray for your church here at St Paul's and in this nation throughout the world that you will fill us afresh with your spirit and that your church will grow, that you will give us confidence to declare the good news of Jesus by the way we live and by what we say. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. For those of you who are uh, discussing this in small groups or prayer triplets, I wonder if you might like to think or to ask, what difference does Jesus's victory over sin and death make to our daily lives? And how can we encourage each other to grow in a healthy confidence of him every day so we live confident in the victory that Jesus has won? They'd be good questions, but you're welcome to ask any others.